You're listening to The Middle, the show about the Australia-China connection. We're bringing greater balance and broad expertise to all aspects of the Australia-China relationship. Hello and welcome. You're listening to The Middle, the show about Australia's relationship with China. Coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on Gadigal lands of the Aurora Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. My name is Peter Frey and my co-host is Wanning Sun and our producer today is the wonderful Caitlin McHugh. Wanning and I come to you from the University of Technology, Sydney. The middle is inspired by the simple desire to shed more light than heat on Australia-China relations. To do that, every week we explore one aspect of the relationship with two subject area experts. And if you'd like to catch up on the previous episodes in either English or Mandarin, please go to themiddleau.com. You can even see what we look like if that floats your boat. Probably won't. So, warning. Perhaps you can tell us about this week's topic and guests. Thanks, Peter. Well, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I noticed that in the Australian newspaper, uh, Glenda Corporal, and she's a senior journalist, and she wrote an interesting story. Um, and the title of the story is quite intriguing. It's called China's Australia Academics Feel Betrayed. Mm-hmm. Now, Let's be clear here. She Mm. was talking about academics who are mostly Chinese and people in China who study us, Australians. Mm. So... Fascinating subject. Yeah, I was just wondering (laughs) what would that strike the readers of the Australians. So the question naturally come up, you know, who are these Australian studies scholars in China and where are they based, you know? What do they do their research on? Mm. And given that, you know, Australia in terms of the population is so small and, and insignificant in, in, in relation to China, why would they bother to study us? Mm. So there are just all these questions. And, we, and also wonder that actually whether these people are playing a role in the relationship between Australia and China. So we've decided to dedicate the entire episode just uh, on this topic, and uh, so that we can get some answers. Well, that's great because we have two two guests with us who are best placed to answer these questions. We have Michael Williams, a researcher, a researcher affiliate with the Institute for Culture and Society Western, at Western Sydney Uni, and he's an historian of the Chinese diaspora and is a founding member of the Chinese Australian Historical Society. Hello, Michael. I hope I got that bit right. Yes, very, sounds very, very impressive. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you, Peter. Thank you for inviting me. Great pleasure to have you. And we also have Lee Jan Jun, who is currently a PhD candidate at the School of Humanities and Communication, also at Western Sydney Uni. And he is the, also the director of Australian Studies Centre in English and International Studies in Beijing Foreign Studies University. He's also, you have many titles, he's also the mm-hmm. Secretary General at Chinese Association for Australian Studies and Managing Editor, Chinese Journal of Australian Studies. So... A very lot of titles, very yes, lot of titles, very yes. very impressive titles. Let's start with you, Mr. Lee. Tell us briefly what your current research projects are and what got you interested in Australian studies. Thank you, Peter. Thanks, uh, Wending and Peter, uh, for inviting me to the program. It's a great pleasure. Mm. Briefly, my current research is on Australian literature in China mm. in the 1950s and 60s, mm. the period after the founding of the. People's Republic of China and right to the Cultural Revolution that started in 1966. Mm-hmm. 
I will focus on the translation, publication, and reception of Austrian literature in that period and explore the social, cultural, and political factors that affect these activities. The 1950s and 60s are a special, very special period in China uh, when the newly established socialist country, PRC, mm. was isolated from the major Western countries, mm. Australia included. So, however, in that period, 23 novels, plays, and collections of short stories by 11 Australian writers were translated into Chinese and published in China. These writers include James Aldrich, Frank Hardy, Jack Lindsay, Judah Wharton, Catherine Pritchard, Jim Fulner Cusack, Ralph de Bossier. Mm. Uh, so just to jump in there, is that seems quite a lot of novels and plays. Was what provoked that? Is there a, is there a, one reason, or is it just that the uh, Chinese were curious about these Australian writers? I think the main reason is that these writers belong to the so-called category of progressive writers. Oh, uh-huh. left, yeah, left wing, left wing and progressive Com- writers. Com- communist writers, and, yeah, not necessarily communist writers, right, but right. they are progressive. Writers. Yeah, progressive. I think we oh, I we we often use that word. Mm. Progress writers. So they were translated into Chinese to as a way of showing Chinese intellectuals that they were not alone in the world, that there were sort of other people in the other countries that were in sympathy yeah, with what was I, happening. I guess so, and uh, also because now the subject of of these books, I mean, uh, novels, short stories, mm. and uh, plays. I mean, the characters, main characters, are. Uh, workers I mean, yeah, in, yes. in, in so Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In Australia or in, in Britain, I mean. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's so, fascinating. Gosh, it? I have to go. I'm so embarrassed. I don't actually know much about these writers. I have to go back and read them now. Mm. Well, there goes the weekend. Yeah. Well, that's all right. You've got yeah. plenty of time. Yeah. So I will investigate the Australian uh, literary text mm-hmm. translated into Chinese in that period. Uh, the critical studies of these texts and the archive documents in relation to the writers, translators, and the publishing houses uh, in China, as well as Australia. Mm. Interesting. Mm. Michael, what about you? Tell us about your current research project. Oh, uh, well, I've, I've, got a, I've got a few on the boil at I'm the sure moment. You do. But yeah. the most, perhaps one you might be interested in, is I've just been researching uh, the history of Chinese opera in, in Australia which runs from the 1850s until about 1906. Yeah, wow. Uh, quite substantial. I mean, uh, uh, it varies from the goldfields of Victoria <clears throat> to the uh, small towns of northern Queensland and Sydney. Sydney had quite a regular uh, opera. Uh, for the diaspora? Uh, well, mainly for the diaspora, but what I found is that quite a few Europeans would regularly go along and view these uh, sure. operas as well, which is where the main source is. It's in the English-language newspapers. There's a few in the Chinese-language newspapers, a few descriptions, but by and large it's Europeans going along regularly, usually being a bit patronising in the descriptions, and some of them are quite amusing descriptions, <laughs> uh, because they, you know, the Chinese opera is a little bit hard for a, a, yeah. a non... So they didn't get it. Well, they tried. Some of them tried. Many of them didn't. Uh, they just made, made jokes and so forth. But even so, from that, you can elicit a bit of a knowledge of what, what was going on. I liked a description at one point that said something like, a, a thousand pigtails smoking uh, cigars and, and drinking ginger beer was their description <laughs> of the crowd in this particular... <laughs> Sounds show. like a fun night, really. Uh, it was. And, and, and a lot of Europeans went along to seriously in, indulge in it. And at one point, it seems they trained what was called 16 
was it six, no, six perhaps, Western beauties were trained and actually went on the stage and performed mm. Chinese opera. Oh, wow. Uh, so have but, you ever taken up singing in opera style? Uh, uh, actually, I went to an interesting performance in Chatswood just last week. Uh, uh, that was very, very done. They had a Hong Kong performer come out. So Chinese opera is again coming back yeah. into yeah. Sydney and yeah, quite, quite regularly. Long, yeah, it's quite a lot um, around here. So, uh, and it's, it's quite fascinating. The stories are mm. quite, quite maybe amazing. We'll a, maybe we'll get a tune later. Morning. What do you think? <laughs> I would like to come back to Mr. Lee because um, you are the director of the Australian Studies Centre in your own university and you're also the Secretary General of the uh, Chinese Association for Australian Studies. So you are the best person to uh, help us with some really basic questions such as, um, you know, tell us about how many centres are there in China and, uh, who, and where are they based and uh, who are they, and who are the most, and which centers are the most active ones? Okay. Uh, the Australian Study Center at my university, Beijing Foreign Study University, was founded in 1983. 83? Yeah, by Professor Huen Zhong, one of the earliest uh, Australian study centers in China. Uh, Professor Hu is a member of the Gang of Nine. The nine scholars from China who studied at the English Department of the University of Sydney in 1979 oh. and uh, to 1981. Right. Now, our centre has uh, eight full-time faculty members at the moment and 23 master's students in Australian Studies program. Yeah, our centre also currently uh, edits the Blue Book of Australia, and report on development of Australia, and the Chinese Journal of Australian Studies, the two academic flagship platforms for Australian studies community in China. Uh, our association, the Chinese Association for Australian Studies, was founded in 1988 at the first conference of Australian studies in China held at Beijing Foreign Languages Institute, now Beijing Foreign Studies University. Mm -hmm. One of the association's main missions is to host the biennial uh, international Conference of Australian Studies in China. The 16th conference was held in Beijing last year with over 30 scholars from every state of Australia, Inter except yep. Northern Territory. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Tell us what disciplines they tend to concentrate on. Are they mainly in the literature sense or are they they're across the that's board? That's literature, but it's also uh, interdisciplinary. I mean, that's, the conference is covers, I mean... Uh, literature, history, mm -hmm. education, trade, I mean, trade business, mm -hmm. international relations. It's, oh, yeah. yeah, it's quite um, oh, multi. Yeah, it's a big conference. A big conference. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, last year we have over uh, two hundred I mean, yeah, uh, participants. Yes, it's yes. quite a big conference. Yeah. And what sort of research are they carrying out? Are they, uh, you know, what's is there a trend? Is there well, is there a trend towards say trade or economics, or as opposed to literature, or is, is it across the board? I think literary, currently literary studies. I mean, is still strong. I mean, um, number of uh, scholars of Australian literature. I mean, we still have. I mean, I think it's the largest. I mean, within the Australian study community in China. I mean, I think the largest number of scholars is still. Australian literary studies mm. research. Mm. But, of course, I mean, uh, in recent years, and we have more scholars, I mean, um, focusing on uh, politics, business and trade, and China and Australia. Uh, really. So, 
currently, uh, the association now has 36 registered Australian study centers. 36? Yeah, six wow. in Beijing, seven in Shanghai, and five in Jiangsu province. The most uh, active centers include, of course, my center. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> at Beijing Foreign <laughs> University and uh, East China Normal University, yes. led mm-hmm. by Professor Chen Hong, yes. and Anhui University. Their Anhui? Foc- mm-hmm. Yeah, their focus is literature, Australian uh-huh. literature. Uh-huh. And Sudo University also, their Sudo focus is literature. And Renmin University of China, Peking University, Jiangsu Normal University. Uh-huh. Now their focus is on overseas Chinese. Overseas oh, okay. Chinese in Australia. Oh, okay. Yeah. They'd be busy. More of a yeah. history focus on that one. Yeah, the only one that has a bit of a his- more yeah. of a history focus. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. So to name just a few. Do they also do contemporary studies? Of yeah, contem- also contemporary. Yeah, right. Both, yeah. I mean, history and contemporary. Okay. Overseas Chinese in Australia and in other parts of the world. So it's such a dynamic area. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We've done a show on it and yeah. uh, I encourage people to go on the, on the website and have a look at that. Yeah, last month, one colleague from... Uh, uh, the Australian State Centre at Jiangsu Normal University. He got uh, uh, funding from uh, the Minister of Education for, for his project. His project is he will study uh, the ethnic capital of contemporary Chinese in Australia. So that's a very... I'll be interested oh, to see yeah, the results yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. very interesting yeah. topic. I mean, very... Mm. Uh, yes. Imp- Ronnie, what do you got there? Yeah, well, you know, in Australia, we have China centres, China study centres. Uh, it's a scholarly area in humanities. Mm. And we also have uh, think tanks, China studies think tanks that inform decision making. And I was just wondering, in China, do the Australian studies uh, scholars um, mo- mainly do a research or do they also um, sort of produce work that informs Australia, uh, the Chinese government's sort of uh, thinking on Australia-China relationships. Mm, mm, yeah, I think some of the centres are acting as think tanks, especially those centres whose research, foc- research focuses are Australian politics, economy, economy and China-Australia relations. And these centres do hope to shape and influence the government's thinking and the public perception. How, Australia how, and are, they, how are these uh, study centres seen by the Chinese government? Are they seen as, uh, as it were, uh, do they, I guess, to my, I guess my point is, do they get controversial? Do they contradict the kind of government line? I don't think so. Right. No, okay. no. Right. Yeah. I, I think the government, especially, I mean, the Ministry of Education, mm. Uh, does expect some of the centers, I mean, to act as think tanks yes. to pro- provide, I mean, advice or suggestions to okay. policymakers. I think. And uh, for example, uh, the Australian Study Center at the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences uh-huh. is really a think tank. I mean, because uh-huh. they are, their focus is research. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, they don't have teaching. I mean, um, program. Right. I think. Um, but most centres, most Australian study centres, I have to say, are primarily academic research centres, mm-hmm. and they teach courses. And they have some PhD students or something. They have master's students. Master's and, students yeah, 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 and PhD students, yeah. like um, uh, uh, East China Normal University, for example, they have PhD program, and our yeah. university we have PhD, PhD program yeah, I think in Australian studies. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I would like to follow up with that. Even though they are just doing research, I would imagine that uh, uh, these scholars uh, would 
over the period of their uh, in the process of doing research, have developed a very strong interest in Australia culture, Australia history, and everything. And uh, probably a lot of them have visited Australia, right? And also have come in, uh, into contact with uh, uh, visitors from Australia, scholars, such as Michael himself. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, would it be fair to say that, that these are the people who have developed uh, uh, emotional? close emotional ties with with Australia in some ways. Yeah, I agree with, uh, I mean, what you have said. I mean, this strong emotional or cultural or emotive ties with Australia, Uh I mean, very strong, uh, very strong. is there is that is there a particular set of criteria for that? Do people, is it, you know, family relations, intermarriage, is it? No, 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 just not not that, not that type. That type of uh, ties, I, I. That's something else. Yeah, something else. I mean, I, I, I mainly talk about. I mean, the scholars. I mean, those mm. scholars of Australian studies mm-hmm. in but China. What, that's what I'm getting at. Like is. A, a fondness for Australia. Yeah, I mean, especially the their uh, personal uh, links with mm. uh, scholars in in, in uh, Australia. I mean, this oh, I kind see. of links. Yes, I mean, um, very strong. Okay, and uh, it's. It's quite, I mean, sometimes uh, emo- emotional. Yes. Uh, yes, and we will come back to that question later yeah. on when we talk to, to, to yeah. Michael about this. Yeah, they two. almost also have very fond memories of the yeah, yeah, period yeah. of time. It's bigger lines have done their PhDs in yes. the yes. University. That's right. For example, yes. Professor Hu Zhongling at Peking University, for example, he's also one of the Gang of Nine, and he studied linguistics with um, Professor uh, Michael Halliday. Oh. In nineteen uh, late nineteen mm. seventies, okay. uh-huh. and uh, last year uh, he set up uh, Hu postgraduate research support scholarship in linguistics at the University of Sydney in honor of his supervisor, Professor Michael right. Halliday. Yeah, okay. So these are, I think, examples to Absolutely. show these strong links, strong ties yeah, still yeah. maintained yes, I mean, yes. after we, so many years. We'd yeah. like to come back to that. But mm. in the meantime, Michael, Li Jianjun has just enlightened us with um, uh, the ins and outs of the Australian studies in China as a field. Uh, but you are uh, someone, um, an outsider to this discipline, uh, but you're sort of outside and looking in, and yet you have been quite closely connected with some of the people who, uh, in, who, who work in this field. So we would like to get some perspectives from you as an Australian and, and scholar and as an outsider. So first of all, um, I would just, what is your assessment of the role that this collective um, plays? Are they, are they shaping the public perception of... China, uh, of Australia? Are they informing the government? Or are they mostly just pursuing Australia as an object of their academic uh, research? I think we've got to understand it from the Australian perspective that China is, of course, vast. It's a, it's a bit of a tourism. So even 36 uh, Australian study centres are, are quite tiny in the, in the, in the, in the academic, it's just even purely sure. the number of universities. I mean, I was spent a bit of time in yeah. Beijing and we were living at Bay Wai, one university, and within spitting distance, there's about half a dozen universities, mm. huge mm. universities, each of them larger than mm. anything in Australia. Mm. And three, even though three of them had Australian study centres, that's you know, within those mm. areas. Uh, so Australia punches above its weight, but it still can't uh, exaggerate this influence. The Americans are always gobsmacked that we have 36 Australian study centres, but even so. So ironically, it was the, the controversy about Australian studies, Australian-China relations that 
kind of raised Australia's profile and gave these centres more of an opportunity to to start to influence things. And they, and they are having an impact, of course, mm-hmm. on an academic level, and that feeds itself through. But it's very difficult because there's a wide perception of Australia as being it's just an inferior form of the United States or something. You know, mm. the, the prejudices within China are quite strong, or the stereotypes about Australia are quite strong. So we've got to work against that as well uh, within the popular level and even at academic level. Uh, mm. And again, we're, but we're having an influence. So, um, okay. But it is a long process, I think, long-term process. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, going back to the article we were talking about earlier in the show uh, by Glenda Corporal in The Australian, she made a point... Uh, uh, the headline, indeed, and she made a point that uh, academics, China studies academics, felt betrayed. Uh, it's a very strong word, and it's a kind of journalistic word. Yes. I'm interested in what you think, both uh, Michael and uh, Mr. Lee. What do you think? Uh, do you feel betrayed? I suppose is, is there a basis, in your opinion, for such a, an emotive word, Michael? Uh, no, no, I, I think betrayed is is too strong. But when I went to China, the Beijing. For the first time two years ago, that was just at the beginning of this Australia-China kind of controversy. Mm. I certainly got a strong feeling that people felt dismayed and were a bit naive, I think, in, uh, uh, at first about Australia and, and they were so interpreting dismayed things. by the kind of just any criticism of China dismayed them, and, right. and uh, they interpreted, I think, a bit too strongly because people didn't understand, say, how independent the ABC is or this kind of thing, and they just imagined that was a government mouthpiece, and this was so everything was tended to be interpreted as a little bit more intentional. I think then we would interpret it in Australia. I see. So something like, say, the Clive Hamilton <coughs> silent invasion mm. book. That that is... would be seen as, as, as it must have been allowed by the government in some way. Uh, and right. it's, and it's really? A plot. Yeah, that's interesting. Isn't uh, it? Yeah, a lot of people would interpret it that way because, I mean, it's very routine. All, everything would be approved publications in China. So this must have mm. been approved in some way. Mm. Uh, so the, it, that's a, a naive level. And, of course, those that are associated with Australian studies will be more aware that's not the mm. case and, mm. so and interpreted a bit differently. Well, I'm interested in your view about them. Do you think this is a, the right word, betrayed? I, I think I agree with what Michael said. It's quite a strong word. Mm. But is it the wrong word, though? A, <clears throat> is it the wrong word? Uh, but I, can't, I can't say it's a wrong word, but personally I don't feel... I don't have a feeling of being, I mean, being betrayed. Be, be, being betrayed. From my perspective... Mm. Um, I mean, the links I mean, between I mean, uh, Australia and China, especially the cultural and educational links, are still maintained. It's not, not much affected by the uh, political no, no plantations. I mean, for example, um, I mean, uh, uh, Professor uh, Li, Li Yao, yeah. uh, the most renowned translator of Australian literature in China, now... His contact with, I mean, uh, the writers, the critics here in Australia, I mean, never stops. I mean, not affected, I mean, by any political uh, changes, I mean. So, uh, morning, I'm going to bring you in here yeah. because that's a very provocative word as well. What did you, yeah, what I, did you how do you feel about that? I I, mean, I, as you said, I think it's a very journalistic word. Yeah. It does get people to talk, uh, to think, to read. And, and I agree with this, these two scholars that uh, uh, dismay and surprise is probably a, a more uh, appropriate word. Mm-hmm. I would like to ask Michael now because... Last time you brought a, a, a scholar from Beijing University, I think it's Chen Bing, Professor Chen Bing, that's, that's right, and yes. she has have she has a very interesting research topic on George Morrison and, and Australia, 
And it just impressed me that Chinese scholar would dedicate so much of her time doing a research, uh, doing, doing research on, on George Morrison. So do you know of some other projects that are equally interesting that we Australians should, should know? Um, yes, there's a whole variety of different projects going on. We yourself have a, a new book that we're about to publish, a translation of a, of a novel uh, set in Australia, written by a Chinese editor yeah, living well. in Melbourne in 1909 uh, well. uh, And we're considering that to be the first uh, example of Australian literature written in Chinese about the Chinese-Australian experience. How exciting. What's it, what's it like? It's, what is, it's, what's the novel about? It's uh, called The Poison of Polygamy. Uh, and so it's a bit of a potboiler. Not uh, It's a, it's a real, quite a dramatic tale. It's slip which is between China, the villages in China, and, and back to the goldfields of Australia, Mel, uh, back to Melbourne. So it's full of very interesting details. So it was originally in Mandarin. No, it was written in literary Chinese. Literary so, Chinese. Uh, okay. So it's quite a, uh, quite an effort to get it translated, and we're about to publish it in a, in a bilingual text. So it will be in the original Chinese. And English, published by Sydney University Press. And was it aimed initially to the diaspora? Or yes, what was the mic- it was very much a political work. He was a nationalist. Uh, this is just before the fall of the Qing, so he's writing uh, under the Qing dynasty, yeah. but very revolutionary in his intent. And he's trying to say polygamy, for example, is poisonous because it's old culture. And the idea is China needs to modernise and get rid of things like polygamy and other old aspects of culture. And this is, of course, part of the revolutionary agenda after 1911. Mm. So um, lots of very, that. very interesting so A lot of detail projects. and a lot of very interesting... He himself was part of the diaspora. His father actually had come to Australia as a gold miner, owned a gold mine in, in Benigan and was a businessman in Melbourne. And so all of these elements are incorporated into the novel. So a very interesting historical oh, I, source. I'll be, I'll be reading that. See, a lot of... It strikes me, and I'm sure wanting to, that there are a lot of challenges, and we mentioned this, this, you know, this distraction, if you like, or I don't know if that's the right word either, of the kind of tensions within the relationship. But maybe we could talk a little bit as we come to the close of the show about the opportunities that exist. Mr Lee, there, there must be lots of... Where do you see this developing, this, this Australian studies area? Oh. Oh. Uh, certainly the opportunities do exist. I think at national level, uh, area and country studies are supported by China's Ministry of Education in recent years. Of the 36 Australian study centres in China, 12 have been officially registered by the MOE and are supported for research projects in relation to China-Australia relations. For example, last month, the grant application for two projects in the field of Australian studies was approved by the Ministry of Education. One project is on the ethnic capital of contemporary Chinese Australians by Dr. Zhao Chang at Jiangsu Normal University. And uh, the other is on the shift of national identity writing in Aboriginal literature from 1966 to 2010 by Dr. Su Ping at CI International Study University. The grant is national level and is very encouraging mm. to other, I mean, scholars of Australian studies in China. Secondly, the association is a united and a collaborative community, a tradition that has been and is still cherished by the scholars in the community. Individual and in- institutional links with Australian counterparts are very strong, mm. are stronger even. Mm. For example, there are more and more exchanges and collaborations. The Chinese Association for Australian Studies and the International Australian Studies Association has established collaborative links, mm-hmm. and we send, I mean, participants for each other's uh, conferences 
I, do you think there is any potential with this co- collective in China? Do you think Australia is harnessing these resources and asset in a? Have they actually realized there is actually resources to be to be ex- exploited, so to speak? No, no. I think it's all a bit one way at the moment, and China is, do, is doing more than Australia. Uh, I mean, FASIC is very important, and the, the Foundation for Australian Studies in China is very, very important, and they're doing something good. But I think more needs to be done from the Australian university side or mm. academic side to promote studies. We should be sending more students to China to study. So there's plenty coming from China to study in Australia. But I think uh, we need it to go both ways to, mm-hmm. to really make an impact mm-hmm. uh, and you know, to have more scholars that really studied some period of time in China and so they can come back to Australia and say they have more of a knowledge because Australia's ignorance of China is quite, quite deep uh, and it's quite fundamental. Every time I come back from China, more and more I realise just how ignorant some people are and still stuck in the 1950s kind of red terror idea of China very well, often. Obviously very prevalent uh, at the moment. Yeah, and, and it's, so it's think, easy to stir this kind of thing you up. You don't think that. all the media coverage of China has actually enlightened them a little bit more? No, no. no <laughs> it's it's pretty poor. Uh, okay. <laughs> no. I'm interested in, Mr Lee, do you th- are you optimistic about where this whole thing is going, the, the, your area, the China studies? Yeah. Australia uh, studies? Yeah. Uh, on the whole, I'm very optimistic about the future of Australian studies in China, mainly because of the strong cultural and emotive ties to Australian, to Australia shared by mm. scholars of Australian studies in China. I remember Professor Colin McCurris often says, I love China as well as Australia. I trust his love for China doesn't mean his love for Australia is less. Oh, no. Similarly, scholars of Australian studies in China can love both countries as well. Mm. I think that's the foundation for the long-term relationship of the two countries, despite the political changes from time to time. I think there's a very, very nice point to end. I the so do I. So do I. Think? That is all the time we have for this week. I'd like to thank Michael Williams and uh, Li Zhengdu uh, for, the, for their time. And until next time, it's goodbye from me, Peter Frey. And it's goodbye from me, Wan Ning Sang. <laughs>